Amen. Good morning, everybody. I'm so blessed to be here with you today, and I pray God's grace and his truth in your life. And as we begin today, I want to initiate something in the life of our church body that, um, I, wanna, that I want to uh, pretty much stay consistent with us, and that is I want to initiate a verse per month, um, a verse for each month that we as a church family are memorizing together. A verse that we can gather around, a verse that we can ask God to use in all of our lives, a verse that we can use for, that God can use for the people of our church, Um, a verse that can be a theme of sorts uh, for all of us during any given month that unifies us as, as a church body, that sanctifies us, that challenges us, and that we can all be meditating upon, a verse that we can recite to each other, even test each other randomly, right? Um, A verse that we can recite around the dinner table that we can all um, apply all month. One that we can maybe even write on a note card or, or on a mirror or hang on a fridge and know that our entire church family is also allowing the Lord to use that particular verse and to put it deep in their hearts at the same time. A verse that can serve as a theme of sorts for our church for any given month. And that has its effect on us as individuals, but also us as a whole that plays itself out in our lives on a daily basis. And I think this will allow us to know scripture, to pray scripture, to treasure scripture, to broaden our ability to reference scripture, right, on our own as we're living. And, and, uh, and also, as we memorize this, it will help us to uh, apply scripture. And I think we will see God's sovereign hand in this. As we do this, I think we will see God's sovereign hand. A verse that we are led to have before us each month will at many times be one that he planned before the beginning of time to have us focus on that we needed for that particular month. And I think we will hear stories often as to how God has used our church's memory verse, a perfect verse for a situation that we encountered, maybe one of us or all of us, and how the Lord used our church's memory verse in an opportune time for us as individuals. We'll, we'll say things like, thank God I had that verse on my mind, right? We'll say things like, thank God we are memorizing that verse because he used it. And if I didn't, I don't think I would have known what, what to say. So as the scriptures emphasize, we must be Christians who... And, and a church who not only hears God's word, not only reads God's word, but also memorizes God's word. That should be regular in your life and stores it up, as the Bible says, in your heart. Um, we will not always recite it on Sunday mornings during the sermon. Sometimes we will before the sermon starts. Sometimes it will be at other points in the service. Sometimes there will be reminders via our social, via our social media platforms. And some months we might even pass out maybe a card or give you a sheet with the 12 of them uh, uh, for, the, for the entire year, um, memory verses for our year. But I encourage you, let this be a great first step for you um, to be one who has scripture memorized. And I think, again, it will unify our church. So each month we'll have a new memory verse. And here's the verse for this month, for September. Um, September's memory verse is Acts 1.8. I think it, 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 is, it is good for us to, to be familiar with these uh, verses that are so, um, 
such staples and, and pillars in the scriptures. And Acts 1.8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now I want you to say this out loud with me, okay? Recite it with me. We're gonna do it a couple times. Ready? Together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. One more time, ready? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now let this be your memory verse for this month, okay? Write it down. And continue reciting it day after day for the whole month. We'll do this as a church. God's going to use it. Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, you can open them to Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. Luke chapter 10 and will be in verses 1 through 16, mainly 4 through 16. Now, by a way of rejoicing, I want to do something briefly. I haven't been up there here in a few weeks, so I got some things to do, okay? And then we'll get into the text. Um, I want to show you what the Lord has allowed us to accomplish so far. And as I show you, I want you not only to look at the overwhelming amount of words, amount of sentences, amount of clauses, amount of connectors, amount of sections on the surface, but I want you to remember and imagine all of the realities that lie underneath the surface. The realities underneath each section, each phrase, each word that spans across the entire scriptures and spans across all of redemptive history, the cross-references that are connected to the meaning of each phrase or section that must be explained in order that we would understand and truly come to the true meaning and application of each passage. So come on this journey with me. As you're in Luke chapter 10 right now, okay, I want you to flip, keep your finger there and flip all the way back to Luke chapter 1, okay, just for a moment. Luke chapter 1. Now, I want us to just go down the columns and across the pages. I'll tell you when to turn. First, first couple of pages. Look at, glance at all the words, all the phrases, all the sentences, all the realities underneath that surface that are connected to the bigger picture. Turn the page. Turn the page. Turn the page. Look at all that's here. Turn the page. Turn the page. Imagine all the information underneath the surface. Turn the page. Turn the page. I don't know how many pages you got, but we're probably close. Lastly, turn the page again, I think, at least for me. That's all we've covered in 71 weeks. Praise God, can we praise God? I mean, that's a lot of information. And we got a lot left to go. So, um, listen, as we, as we look at this journey together, 
I want you to, as we look at Jesus' journey and one that we are on uh, together, I want you to know that this is important, that, that you would understand what we're, what we're doing. Um, it's what we're calling, what we call, what we don't only call, but what um, has been called expositing a portion of Scripture, exposition or exegesis. It's a simple term that, that means exposing the text, okay? And right now we're in the book of Luke, and, and that's what we're going to do until we finish. We're going to expose the text. So we're, each week we're going to take what comes next. This allows us to see portions of Scripture within the biblical meta narrative. okay? This is God's plan. This is God's story. The Bible is mainly not about us. It's about God, and it's about what God has done over the course of history in order to save sinners. So each week, we will take what comes next, and, and, and as we look at this, it will also prevent us from picking me, picking, which you don't want, topics, right? Because I'll get mad about something, and we'll just pick it, right? But God decides each week what will come next, what we need as a church, what truth we need to learn, how to treasure it, how to grow in it, how to be equipped in it, how to repent of, of certain things, what to believe, and what to change. He wants to do this for our church family and church body, and he decides he decides each week for our joy and for his glory. And in his gracious, sovereign care, he will always sanctify us in his truth by making us holy, by equipping us for the work of the ministry. And now the past couple of weeks, we've been taught this by Pastor Chad or by Pastor Taylor first and then Pastor Chad. And, and just what an incredible job. And, and I do want to mention over the course of time, we will continue to build our teaching ministry. And I'm so thankful for these men, these leaders that God has placed around me in our church, especially those who are able to teach us God's word. As even Pastor Chad taught us last week, we need more leaders. I want you to hear that. We need more leaders. We need more laborers in the church, in the world. And I want you to know that that's one of our main goals as a church for you, to build you into more leaders for the kingdom of God. And you got to think that way, not to affirm our own leadership, not to affirm my own leadership, trying hard to finally get you to realize that we're all great as pastors, because <laughs> we're not, right? But I, we're not going to go past our prime in that way to try to just affirm ourselves all the way to the end. Listen, but to identify, to, to build more leaders for the kingdom, the world needs more faithful leaders, Christian leaders in our church in the kingdom, and we see it in you. We want, to, we want you to know that. We see this in you. Don't sell yourself short. God has, God has wired you in a specific and special way that, that is meant to be used for his kingdom. Ephesians 4 tells us that this is the job of us as pastors. Look at this on the screen. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. We are here to equip you. So in various ways, including Sunday mornings, as well as through personal relationships, our goal is to build your platforms for God to use you, not for your own glory, but for his kingdom and, and to build more Christian leaders. Listen, for the world, we need more leaders who are devoted to Christ, who will lead people. I don't say that in a way of like, a typical like leadership seminar, right? I want more leaders 
who can lead people towards Christ in various areas or arenas in the world, right? That's our goal. And whatever field you find yourself in, we aim to get in your world, to notice you, to see you, to see in you what you might not even see for yourself, to be honest with you, right? And and then to give you a vision of what the Lord could do with a calling in your life to challenge you as to how the Lord might lead you. We, we want to encourage some of you to plant churches. We want to encourage some of you to, 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 to preach the gospel in, in various settings. We want to encourage some of you to just be an evangelist in, in your workplace. We want to encourage some of you to start ministries. We need more leaders in the world, to get out of the way to help you take steps of faith. This is important, and we want to build our church. We want to be known for like having just a plethora of pillars in our church. Like That church has so many leaders <laughs> that are so strong in the faith that we can't even touch it. Like It's just built up, right? That's our goal, right? And, and, and let me also say, whether you stay or you're sent, that makes no difference to us. Right? We want to be a church not known for its staying capacity, but for its sending capacity. That's what we want to be known for. Right? We just want to be a factory of sending into the world. And that's important. We, that, this is what we want to do. We want you to be a church not known for our staying capacity. We don't care about numbers. We don't even talk about numbers around here. As long as we can keep going, that's what matters. Right? We don't need to be a, 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 a giant church Uh, that counts things that don't matter. We want to count what does matter, and that's sending leaders into the world, staying focused on the mission. So all that to say, uh, we want to encourage you to to have that understanding yourself of what the Lord wants to do in your life. And speaking of sent ones and providing instructions for sent ones, for evangelists, for missionaries, today this is what the Lord is going to do. He's going to provide instructions for his disciples, for his leaders, for his evangelists. And we're in Luke chapter 10. I've titled this message, Instructions for Missionaries. Very simple. Instructions for Missionaries. This is a simple title because what the Lord is doing here is rather simple. Although some of its context will need to be explained, he's doing what we just talked about. He's equipping his disciples for the mission. Very simple. This is what he's doing. And he's teaching them to follow him themselves. This journey of Jerusalem consists of his training. Listen, this time right now is boot camp for the disciples. This is what it is. It's boot camp for the disciples. It's training them, right? Their faith will be tested soon. He will be leaving soon. And they must evangelize. They must teach. They must multiply by the power of the Holy Spirit when he's gone. Right now is this time of teaching. They're having their hearts transformed. (laughs) They're being changed. The way of their thinking is not the way that they should think forever, right? And and they're going to have to follow Christ in his ways. So along this journey, Jesus is teaching them to follow him and to share him. Jesus has been doing this thus far, but mainly in chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to 920, right? As we've said, it's, it's mainly been about him testifying to the fact that he's the Christ, the anointed one, the, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. 
Once we hit 921 through about 950, but obviously on further, specifically in 921 and 944, the focus surrounds the fact that Jesus is going to have to die. The Christ, God's Christ, has not come to build the kingdom on earth as they thought, but that he's going to have to die. And then as we move on from 951 to 1927, which is where we are right now, we're in the midst of this today, the journey of Jer- to, to Jerusalem is the training of the 12 or, or the training of the large larger group of disciples. And then from there to the end of the book, you know that what happens, the the rejection, the the death on the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension. So today we find ourselves kind of toe deep in the journey to Jerusalem and in the training of the 12. The season has been and will continue to be very, very practical for you. It's immeasurably valuable, but very, very practical practical. We get to watch Jesus disciple his followers. We get to watch what he would want to say to them before he leaves. That's, that's invaluable. So today, particularly, he's, be, he's, he's giving instructions to his disciples for evangelism. Instruction as they go on ahead of him and they prepare the way for his arrival into each town and village. These are instructions as they go out, as they're being sent out. This is not the permanent time they will be sent without him because they're going to come and report back to him, as I'm going to mention in a minute. But this is to herald his message as, as, as his messengers, as his sent ones. And the disciples will be declaring that Jesus is the Christ to repent and believe in him, that he's the fulfillment of God's plan, and uh, that, that people should believe in, in who he is. Last week, we saw Jesus give the heavenly perspective of the task, okay? Listen, it's kind of like last week was broad, overarching theme and philosophy of ministry. Here's how you should think. And now, today, he's giving very practical instructions. And although this is a different context, it's so helpful for us. Now, listen, his instructions transcend culture, Okay, his instructions transcend culture. So so although it's different, this is applicable to us, although it's different context and what they're doing, this is direct application to us. Listen, I want you to know his instructions are to you. I, I don't want you to miss that. And I don't want to take that for granted. You are his missionaries. You are his evangelists. You are his heralders. You are his ministers. You are his messengers. You are that if you are in Christ Jesus. That's what you are. You can't escape that, nor should you want to. Right? The truth is, if you are in Christ, you are his missionary. You are a sent disciple into your neighborhood, into your workplace, into your community, and into your family. The coffee shop that you frequent, the gym that you go to, the mechanic that you use, the doctor that you see, the school that you attend, the customers that you acquire, the nations or the other cities that you go to, this is where Jesus wants you to be his missionary. And listen, if you've come to saving faith in Christ, You are this. He is entrusted to you. Listen, he's entrusted to you. This ministry of reconciliation. That's what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 states. Before he ascended, Jesus gave this command. Look at this. I want to show you. And this is command to all of us. This is a command. The command here is make disciples. It's the only command in this passage that I'm about to show you. Make disciples. That's the one command in this whole passage. Everything else supports or surrounds the one command. 
make disciples. Ready? Look at this. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, and there it is, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's only one command there, make disciples. The rest supports it, surrounds it, upholds it. This teaches us how to make disciples, teaching, baptizing, going, right? But the one command is to make disciples. And therefore, listen, this is for all of us. If your life is not about making disciples, you are living in active disobedience to Christ's command for you. You're just living in in, in choosing active disobedience. It would be like if he told you something else and you did not follow through on what he told you but then you did it every day with no repentance. And this is not to hurt your feelings, but to tell you, you, you need to repent and, and obey because this is his calling for your life. This is how he sanctifies you. This is how he reaches the world. And listen, I want to point something out. It's going to be helpful for us, and then we're going to get into the, the text. Matthew, I know you're saying, when, are we going to get into this thing? Listen, this is all... This is all helpful from the scriptures to set us up. Matthew 25, look at this. I want to read this parable to you. This is what Jesus says in this parable. Let me read it. The parable of the talents. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. So also... He who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, uh, and he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you have delivered me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I know you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. Seems like a good excuse. I I was afraid. Can you just help me in that? I went and hid your talents in the ground. I preserved it. Uh, Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed, that you ought to have invested the money, my money with the bankers and my coming, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to, have, to everyone who has more will be given and he who has, um, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless service, servant into outer darkness in the place where it will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen, we see two ob- among many observations from this parable. First, what matters most is not the result, not the amount, not the success, but the faithfulness with what God has entrusted to you, which is not money. Although in this parable, Jesus uses money to illustrate it. 
It's the gospel message, right? That's what you've been entrusted with and called to multiply. The second observation from this passage, which is important for you to to understand, is that the one who does not multiply is one who should have concern that they actually do not believe the message or know the master themselves. That's a strong observation from this passage. Strong for our our hearts. It it helps us. You should have concern if there's no multiplication in your life that you may not know the master yourself although you think you may think you do. And so this is important. It may not even be exposed to you that you don't know the master until you've been exposed to your unfaithfulness in sharing the message. The fruit exposes the heart. So in today's passage in Luke 10, it's for every Christian. It's for all of us. It's for all of you. And Jesus aims for us to be obedient to it. Every disciple of Christ. So today, if today's passage was removed, the particular instructions to the evangelists, to the disciple makers, to the missionaries, that's what would be lost. That's why we know that this is the main point. Okay, He's instructing his missionaries. That's what would be lost if we removed it. So let's pray. Let's ask God to show us. Let's hear and understand the meaning and the instruction of his words. And then let's leave in obedience to him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We ask that you would build leaders and laborers as we've talked about. We pray that you would make us obedient to your word. We pray that you would give us instructions along the journey. We need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Here's our verses for today starting. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But... Whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your own town clings to your feet, we wipe off against you. Uh, Even the dust of your own town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day for Sodom than it was, uh, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida, for If the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. 
Today, we will have more to cover than usual, and it seemed right to me to keep these verses together, so we will cover them in a bit of a broader scope. Um, and as, if you were here, you'll notice that these verses are extremely similar to what we learned back in chapter 9, where Jesus gave these same instructions to the 12 disciples, and now he's giving them to the larger group. Verses 1 through 3 kind of sets us up with the philosophy. Verses 4 through 16 gives us the specific instructions. And so as you can see uh, in Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, this is what it says. And you can notice the, the similarities, although here in Luke chapter 10, it's much more more uh, specific and much more elaborate. But look at the similarities to when he sent out the 12 as to now when he's sending out the larger group. Here it is. And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there from there depart. And whenever they do not receive you, when you leave, wherever they do not receive you, when you leave, uh, shake, uh, leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel everywhere. Another unique aspect that I want you to see is that we will also see their returning. That will start next week. He sent out and he sent them out and then they're going to also return. That starts in verse 17. And listen to this. I want you to, to notice this, okay, just briefly. When they return, what, what's going to take place is that Jesus is going to tell them, do not rejoice at your ministry's success as much as you rejoice in the fact that your names are written in heaven, right? Now, I want you to notice that that's the text that the Lord has prescribed to us for our birthday next week. Isn't that awesome? Don't rejoice at your ministry's success. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. How wonderful. You know, when we make a commitment to teach expositionally through books of the Bible, I can't tell you how affirming it is to a pastor when you see the Lord's hand upon particular texts and messages at particular times that our church needs those particular texts or messages. I remember and think back to when we started teaching online through quarantine. And the, the section that we started with was Jesus's power over disease and death, right? That's affirming because church, once again, God has promised that he will take care of the rest when we do what he says, which is teach his word straight through, right? And so this is important, church, I cannot even describe to you. When we don't take our own cleverness even what would seem right to the world and seem logical, right? It doesn't make any sense that we're gonna spend this long in a book. People aren't gonna stay. Well, that's not my concern, right? That's not the concern. The concern is to be faithful. Or we're not gonna have relevant messages. Well, that's not the concern. The, Jesus will make them relevant. We just teach what he says. By faith, knowing what he says, listen, he will take care of the rest. And I wanna tell you, his hand is upon our church that's one of the ways that he displays it, by giving us exactly what we need when we need it in his scriptures. The blessings of the church are not measured by our contentedness with the, with the message or by the size of the church growth or by the involvement, but by the sanctification of his people through his, his word. Rejoice, church. God's hand is upon this place. So briefly, verses one through three. Ready? 
the large group of forerunners, it shows us that he's got a busy itinerary ahead of him. He appoints a lot of people to go into a lot of places, right? The instructions are, are, are used more than once here in what he starts out, okay? He starts out with the laborers in the field. He says it again in Matthew 9, 37. Look at this. He said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers right into his harvest. He says it again in John 4, 35. Look at this. Do you, uh, do you not say there are four months, then comes harvest? Look, I tell you, lift your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so, the, so, that, the sow, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and other reaps. I sent you to reap that which you did not, for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So he's saying the same thing here as he says in Luke chapter 10. This is important. He's saying this in other places. Notice also that I want you to, to notice this. When he says that the harvest is plentiful, that God has prepared a harvest, he, he doesn't say this harvest is so overwhelming, therefore try harder. He doesn't say this harvest is so overwhelming, therefore work until you burn yourself out for the kingdom. He says this harvest is plentiful, therefore multiply by praying for more laborers. That's the goal. We need more laborers. Then he talks about the wolves and the lambs phrase, right? And, and among other things, what he's telling you is living on mission, get this up front, is not going to be an enviable situation. It's not for those who want a life of self-serving convenience. There will be danger and there will be helplessness. God's servant will always be in some ways at the mercy of the world and at the mercy of sin, right? That's just going to be how it is. Look at this, Matthew 10, 16 through 26. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Beware of men. They're going to deliver you over to the courts, flog you in their synagogues. You're going to drag, uh, the, you'll be dragged before governors, kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, don't be anxious of how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you say will be given to you at that hour. For it is not who uh, you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated for all, by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. If they called you, the, uh, the, called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they align you um, and those of his household? So have no fear of them. So this is, this is going to be a tough mission. Now, as he starts the practical instructions of verse 4, we see four, four things. Four instructions, uh, practical instructions that on mission his disciples sh should do. And these are very practical, and they will help you as you live on mission for him. We're getting into four practical instructions starting in verse 4, 4 through 16. The first is that his disciples must trust in, in the Lord's provision. The first thing that his disciples must realize and must do as he sends them out and gives them instructions is they must trust in the Lord's provision. Provision being the, the key word. Read verse four with me. Verse four, it says this. This is where it comes from. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. 
As Jesus is sending out his disciples, he tells them in a very straightforward way to carry no money bag, to carry no knapsack, to carry no sandals, and to greet no one on the road. He says to take no equipment, no extras. Just as he told the 12 as he was sending them out earlier in Luke chapter 9, verse 3. He called the 12 together. He gave them power and authority over the demon and the cure diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, look at this, take nothing for your journey. He told the 12 this earlier. No staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. And do not have two tunics. So here, this is appropriately after, directly after, telling them that they will be as lambs in the midst of wolves. A lamb is powerless. A lamb is protectionless. A lamb is perceptionless. And a lamb is provisionless. Except for the power, the protection, the perception, and the provision of the shepherd. He is teaching his missionaries here to trust him. That's what he is teaching them here. Trust me. That's what this is about. This is what he cares about. For them to learn to depend on him for all of their needs, for the needs of their ministry, to know that he is Lord of all and that he will always know their needs and will always provide them through his sovereign care. As they are faithful and focused on his mission of evangelism. That's the goal. Jesus is teaching them to trust. Matthew 6, this is as he says in Matthew 6, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Here in Luke 10, Jesus is telling his disciples the same. As they live missionally, which... They must do in order to be obedient that no material good should distract them. No awareness of need or focus on material goods should slow them down. That's what he's telling them here. No material good should cause them anxiety, especially to the degree that it, to, to the degree that it stops them from the mission. They should live in radical and reckless pursuit of the commission. Verse 4, as we referenced, no money bag, literally no purse, no extra coins or, or bills laying around, no knapsack, meaning no bag, as in a traveler's bag, literally, no sandals, not that they are to be there, barefoot, although they are essentially barefoot, but no spare pair, right? They are to go as they are, to obey, trust, and lean on him. Lean and mean, but nice, right? Along the way to greet no one on the road, verse 4, that is also an instruction, but not an instruction to be cold or impolite, but it's a instruction to not delay in dallying because they need emotional or physical or relational support. During this time, get on with the mission, he's telling them. No elaborate, time-consuming salutations, especially in light of or in having your sights set on something of substance along the journey as in you're not trusting God. 
Jesus is saying, I will provide even if you don't have the necessary relationships to start, the necessary relationships to depend on, the necessary people along the way. And this is, at the t- this, this is a time, listen, this is very important for us to understand. This is a time of preparation. Their need is a time of preparation. Having need is a time of preparation. It's a time of training, of exercise, of learning to trust God's provision. It's a time of training. They don't do this, they're not trained. They don't go through this time, they won't be trained to trust God for his provision. As they focus on the essential task of the gospel. Later on, he's gonna ask them to reflect on this time. Luke chapter 22, it says, and he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or no knapsack or, or sandals, did you lack anything? This is later on, and they're gonna reflect and they're gonna say what? Nothing. Interestingly, though, in Luke chapter 22, right after this, he's actually gonna tell them to take and to ask for what they need. That's a different time. It's not the time of training. Right now is the time of training. So later on, he's gonna say, take what you need. But they can't do that until they first learn to be dependent on him. They won't be prepared first if they don't go through this time of learning to trust him with provision to act when they don't have what they need. They'll never learn to do that if he doesn't have them do that right now. As God told Abraham, ready? Go to where, God? To a place. Okay, which place? The one I'll show you, right? But go. And, and, and on the mission, they're gonna become aware. Listen, these disciples are gonna become aware and they're gonna stay aware that they don't have the resources guaranteed. They're gonna stay aware of that the entire time. Their resources will never seem to be enough and never give them ultimate security and stability. They can always be here one day and gone tomorrow. He's training them, though, to continue when this does happen. Will you trust me when you have nothing? They've got to be trained. He's training them to depend on him at every moment. These disciples must learn this. These are the forerunners. You see... This is so important. As the Israelites, they they were trained in the desert, which they failed, (laughs) right? With only enough manna for the day. So these two, these disciples must depend on him daily. You see, their, their lives, their previous lives and the world around them have a false sense of reoccurring and guaranteed provision. As does our world today, and maybe you do too which is why we don't depend on God or see a need for God. Don't try to get out of the place of dependency upon God. Stay there. The world doesn't know that if God closed up his sustaining general grace and brought about one devastating bill, their provisions would dry up faster than they could blink. Savings accounts are not security. The doctor tells you tomorrow that you got cancer, there it goes. It's not security. Their hearts need to be shaped. Their minds need to be trained to rethink and their faith must become firm in his lordship as they take up their cross and follow him. They must see that he is the superior treasure, that he is more valuable than all their provisions. If they have him, they have it all. They must learn to trust him. This is boot camp, which is why, listen, this is what the Lord aims to do, by the way, in in telling us, commanding us, testing us in our giving 
I'll just be honest. This is what he aims to do. The reason why he aims to tell us to give until it hurts, the point that it would seem reckless to the world, is because that would be a born, first of all, from a desire that cares about the gospel going forth. And by doing so, it puts you in a place to trust, trust, trust the Lord's provision. To become dependent on him because, because out of the abundance of our giving, we have needs and we have to depend on him. That is a more secure place for you to be in. That is a more protected place for you to be in than to be self-reliant by trying to hoard what God has freely given you. That's robbing from God, by the way. It's not yours. <laughs> Just like when my children say mine, like, okay, but daddy bought that, right? And listen, he's not blessed you to increase your standard of living. It's not the purpose of your life. It's not his purpose for your life. That's way too small and self-focused of a purpose. He has blessed you to increase your standard of giving. No questions, no ambiguity. The goal is not to build your kingdom. It's to build his. God has blessed many of you, and that's not a bad thing, but listen, if you make $200,000 a year salary, it doesn't mean that you need a $200,000 a year lifestyle. It just doesn't mean it. You just don't. Don't do that. It won't go well for your soul, and it won't be good for your witness, and you will not advance the kingdom, and you will not display God as your greatest treasure, which is all that matters in the short light that you have. Make your life count, no pun intended, on mission, trusting him, depending on him, makes your soul sing for joy as the experience of intimate fellowship with him occurs regularly. I don't know about you, but when I get tunnel visioned on my own stuff and wants, etc., it's misery. Look at this from Psalm 4-7. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. That's awesome. They got grain and wine, I got the Lord. Right? That's what he's training them in. Trust and treasuring. Trust and treasuring. The Lord is training his disciples here to trust and to treasure. This is boot camp for them. They will never learn to trust him. There's no other way to learn than by trusting him and focusing on the mission. At the end of their time, listen, they're going to look back and they're going to say, you know what? We went into this thing with nothing. Zero. Zip. It doesn't make any sense. And yet, we're alive. God proved that he can be trusted, that he will provide. And then you know what that will train them to do? Go for a lifetime to where God sends them, no matter the provisions. This is the lesson we learned when we came to plant this church. And you know what? That is what has trained us to pursue other ventures as well. Because when he calls us to plant churches, to start ministries, to build programs, we can trust God because we've learned to trust him. That's why we can do other things. This will be the result of the training of the 12, as I mentioned in Luke chapter 22, and this will be your result as well. Listen, if you trust him by faith and focus on the mission and give your heart out, give your heart out, give your heart out and, and, get, and be sent for the mission. Not only giving, being sent, give your life away for the mission. Give everything for it. And you will learn that you can trust God. 
You don't trust him because we haven't obeyed and allowed him the opportunity to prove that he can be trusted. It's no wonder going overseas for missions as an entire family even seems so foreign to us. Again, no pun intended. It's because we haven't been trained to trust him. We, we got we to do this. Matthew 6, seek first my kingdom, his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be added. And one of the greatest promises in all the Bible, Philippians 4, 19 through 20, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen. This lesson is for them. They're gonna have to learn to trust God and this lesson is for us. Number one's the longest point, if you're wondering. Number two. Trust in the Lord's preparation. Number one, they must learn to trust in the Lord's provision. Number two, they must learn to trust in the Lord's preparation. Verses five through six. Ready? Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. Jesus' disciples will enter into towns and villages. And as they do, they will enter into towns for evangelism and for lodging. And... As Matthew 10 says, he, he, when he sent out the 12, whatever town or village you, find, uh, you enter, find one who is worthy and stay there until you depart. So this is important for evangelism and discipleship and lodging, they will enter into houses. The instructions here in verses five through six are for them to find people of peace, persons of peace. Those who are receptive to their mission, receptive to their message, who are primarily ready to receive their message. Because... They would do this because they are true Jews. Okay, this is why they would do this. Romans 2, 29 says, but a Jew is one inwardly and the circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. These Jews would be waiting for and watching for who? The Messiah. As we depict every year in Advent, we don't just say they're anticipating because we made that up. They really were anticipating for the Messiah, right? And therefore, the people of peace would have their hearts soft, ready, cultivated by the Lord and his spirit, the, hearts of the, the soil of their hearts, and, his, and they would receive his message and his ministry and his messengers. They were to go to each house and proclaim peace, these verses tell us. Not just general peace, but peace with God through Jesus Christ, because they know what Isaiah prophesied, which is what? For us, to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will, shall be on his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of what? And of the increase of the government and of peace, there will be no end. They know this. And in verse 6 of our text, it says that if this is, there is truly a person of peace in the house, meaning one who is characterized by peace with their message, peace with the messengers, about peace with God, then whose hearts have been prepared by God to receive the message, the, mes the ministers, and, and the Messiah, then, then when they receive this message or ministry or messenger, the peace that they offer, the peace with God through Jesus Christ will be theirs. It will rest upon that house, right? On the contrary, in the middle of verse six, if you notice, if not, the message of peace of God will not be theirs. The disciples would waste no more time. As Matthew 7 says, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack them. They're not committed to getting a people to understand who are committed to misunderstanding, right? 
This is, this, is what, this, is, this is what their goal is. Now, therefore, this too is an act of trusting God. That's the main point here. Listen, stay with me. This is an act of trusting God. Not this time mainly for provision, but this time for receptivity or for rejection. They must trust God, trust God for receptivity or for rejection. They are declaring God's message of peace. Some would be receptive, some wouldn't. This was not to devastate them. This transcends material possessions. This is not the goal for them to force the message in their own power. The basis of their success was not on the receptivity or the contentedness of the hearer because they should expect rejection as the world always will. It's not a proper expectation for you, evangelist. Listen, it's not a proper expectation for you or for me as a preacher to expect that all will receive it just be constantly disappointed. They should not measure their faithfulness or effectiveness by that same measure, but by them going and proclaiming peace. They're to trust God to prepare hearts and who would receive their message. And this is what they should do. The thing they should know is that Jesus is telling them that both situations will occur and it won't be exposed until they share the message of peace. They will not be able to tell from the outside if this person will receive or reject. It won't happen until they share it. Remember the parable of the soils? How do we know the condition of the soil? When the seed is sown, right? You don't know that until the seed is sown. So listen, I experience this every week. If someone comes in here or just we encounter them in life and they hear God's word and they leave it behind and it's not for them and it glosses over, they don't think it meets the needs or the expectations or the desires, Listen, and it's the word of God. What I know is that the Lord is not working there. It's not my fault. It's not your fault. We want to see children of promise, not children of the flesh, that you somehow coerce them into it. We want to have, see people who have, from, from time, from eternity past, a, a child of, of promise, one that God has, has promised to bring into the kingdom who the promise applies to, right? That's gonna be a sovereign work of the Lord. So for us, listen, you as missionary, you must learn to trust God's preparatory work in your evangelism. There will be some who are sons and daughters of peace. And therefore your message, the Lord's message, the peace of God with God through Jesus Christ will be received. And there will be some in whom it will not be. He is telling them, that there will be people already prepared to receive it. And so they must trust that they will be there when, he, when they go to house to house. At some point, they're gonna find someone who's ready to receive it, right? And you must be conscious of this when you evangelize, right? And your failure is just your success. You simply follow the instructions to declare peace. Number one, trust in the Lord's provision. Number two, They must trust in the Lord's preparation. Number three, they must focus on gospel proclamation. They must focus on gospel proclamation. This is very similar to what we've already said, but a little bit different. Verses seven through nine. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you, right? Now, I'm only going to address this briefly because I alluded to it earlier, okay? 
The instruction here is that they, as Christ's missionary, when they are received by a person of peace, a house that's receptive to the message, they are to remain in that house. Why? Because God will provide for his laborers. The laborer deserves his wages. God will be sure to provide for them. Okay? God will be sure to provide for his laborers. His ministers will receive the meeting of their needs through the very people that they are ministering to, which, by the way, is the pattern that is set up permanently for the church, which is why it works the way that it does. Okay? So if we had time, I could show you the plethora of verses for that, but we don't. Listen, they should eat and drink whatever is provided for them. They should not go from house to house. Town, in, in, their t- in the town, they should be content with what is given to them, right? They should simply do the work in it, right? The kingdom of God has come near to them. This is what they should do. They should see the people. They should be content with what is given. They should share the, the message of the gospel. They should heal, and they should say the kingdom of God has come near to you. That is Christ's kingdom has come. The, the Christ kingdom has arrived and your ability to enter into it through repentance and belief has come. We've brought it to you. It has come near to you. That's the instructions of Jesus at this point, right? This is what we should do. We should be content and we should focus on gospel proclamation. See, what he was teaching them not to do was to look for every opportunity to up their accommodations, every opportunity to up their meal, the, the quality of their meals, every opportunity to secure better things for themselves. He says, don't constantly look for that stuff. Just eat and drink what they provide for you. Stay where they, they do. Care for the people by healing them and then proclaim the kingdom of God has come near to you. That's what, that's what the issue is here. So, They should not be preoccupied, right? And this, by the way, will also separate them from the greedy false teachers. This is where people will learn to trust them. This is where people will learn to trust them, that they're not in it for sordid gain, right? In church, the same should be true for us. Let's not focus on working the system to our advantage like all America is, knowing that you want to try to accumulate a better accommodations and better meals. Stay focused on bringing the kingdom near to people. Number one, the disciples should trust in the Lord's provision. Number two, the trust in the Lord's preparation. Number three, they should focus on gospel proclamation. We got about five minutes for number four. They should also pronounce the Lord's judgment. To the last point, they should also pronounce the Lord's judgment. These are your instructions, evangelist. Trust in the Lord's provision. Trust in the Lord's preparation. Trust, focus on gospel proclamation and make sure to pronounce the Lord's judgment. Now you might say, well, that doesn't seem like typical evangelistic instruction. Well, that's from Jesus's words, not mine. It says in verse 10 through 16, read it, ready? But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your own town clings to your feet. We wipe off against you, clings to our feet. We wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. It will be more bearable on judgment for Tyre and Sidon than it will be for you. And you, Capernaum, 
will be exalted. Will you be exalted to heaven? You should be brought down to Hades. The one who hears me, hears you, hears me. The one who rejects you, rejects me. The one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Jesus' gospel preachers are to pronounce judgment. This is the judgment that will come with the rejection of the message. You have got to be faithful at preaching the judgment that will come if the message is rejected. Briefly, 10 and 11. When the missionary is not received because of their foundational message and they're rejected with the message that they carry, they are to go into the streets, wipe the dust off their feet and have nothing to do with that town. The culture, this is a cultural act of condemnation, but it's also saying we don't want even anything left to do with, with the town. They should know. They're going to say this, the kingdom of God has also come near you, but you rejected it, right? Verse 12, what Jesus is telling them there is, is, is deeply meaningful. What, what he's telling them to declare here is deeply meaningful. The fact that any Jewish city, which is the cities that they're going to, stay with me, any Jewish city that they're going to, which is, again, the cities that they're going to, that it would be more subject to judgment than the horrid city of Sodom, that we find the story of in Genesis chapter 19, is unthinkable to the Jews. You're going to tell us that we're subject to more judgment than the Jews, but that indeed is the case. Because if they have heard Jesus' message and they've rejected it, they're in worse condition. The Christ has come. He wasn't far off, and they rejected it. He alludes also to the same by giving two Jewish cities in proximity to Capernaum, Chorazin and Bethsaida, stating if the two cities... In the Old Testament, which, by the way, were known for judgment, Tyre and Sidon. If you're going to pick three, like, really bad cities you don't want to be from, right, it's going to be Sodom, Tyre, and Sidon. And he says, woe to you, Tyre and Sidon. Like, I mean, woe to you, Chorazin and Bethsaida. If even in these worst cities in the Old Testament, they had heard the message, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. But you rejected the message. This would be something that they would be shocked by. Verse 15, it mentions Capernaum. Now, what's interesting is that we don't see a lot about Capernaum's rejection, but you know what we do know is that this was the basis of Christ's ministry, and so they were probably very familiar with it. And so when he says this, you think you're going to ascend to heaven? You're going to be brought down to Hades. What he's saying is that there's an apathy there. And so there's a... There's a, a uh, a lack of caring about the message, even though it's so close to them. And so he's saying that's just as bad. Capernaum, you're actually going to be brought down to Hades, which is a common just broad uh, word for a place after death, but when in comparison to heaven, it, would, it means hell. And so this will be the consequences of their rejection or of their apathy, right? And so that... This in the Bible, friends, listen, too often our message, let me close with this, too often our message, in our message, we desire to leave this part out. But church, you can be sure that without the realities of judgment, without the accurate description of penal and eternal consequences of rejecting Christ, no one will ever see their need for a savior. You don't know you need a doctor unless you know you're sick. Right? And therefore, under his divine wrath and destined to hell. Church, in a world that is intolerant to this kind of message, I know that you're afraid they might cancel you. There might be outrage. 
for not coddling beliefs. Don't be afraid of that. Right? Even if you go to prison because of it, he's still with you. And he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Tell this part. With tears in your eyes and fire in your heart, but do tell this part. Because as distracted as we become in this life, if we don't give the reality that there are two eternal destinations, presence with the Lord in heaven or absence from the Lord in hell, people will not see their need for a savior. So to close, church, missionaries, messengers, gospel preachers, evangelists, disciples, trust in the Lord's provision. You, you must live on mission to be obedient. And when you do, trust in the Lord's provision, trust in the Lord's preparation, focus your energies on gospel proclamation and faithfully pronounce the Lord's judgment. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing me to get through a, a lot of things. I do pray that you would use this. And as we respond, um, dur just during this last song, in uh, taking of your table, um, in a re remembering and a reflection, and even a, a moving us towards obedience in this, I pray that we would respond with um, hearts, that, that care about your words. In Jesus' name, amen.